Hello and welcome. We're Safe Sport International, a global charity dedicated to empowering children and adults to experience sport in an inclusive and safe environment. We are passionate and experienced global safeguarding leaders with a vision to end all forms of non-accidental violence, abuse and exploitation in sport. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to Developing Safeguarding Advocacy in Sport. My name is Jo Norman. In this podcast, we discuss topics that some listeners may find distressing, so please do listen with caution. And I'm very pleased to have with me Wilma. She works with Safe Sport International and has a very influential position in the safeguarding of athletes. We've also worked together in the past, so we know each other and um, it's really great to be working with you and having this conversation with you. In this conversation, we'll be looking at some of the components of developing a quality safeguarding advocacy service. And uh, we will focus on four key areas. And when we discussed this, Wilma, we had that first discussion about having this as a conversation. And um, you indicated that uh, you would like to explore certain areas for this. So hello to you. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you very much. And so over to you, what are the sort of things that you, where do you want to start? Well, I thought this would be good to take a moment to think about governance in the sense of, well, what does it mean? What's its purpose here in advocacy? Because sometimes I find governance can seem to individuals as a scary and intimidating word. And so I, I thought it would be good for us to start on picking and just helping people have a sense of what governance really means and offers. Mm, yes, absolutely. And, and governance in itself, it sounds very scientific and um, sometimes mm. um, often thought of as being that element of work that's done by strategists overlooking yes. a, a service. And in a way, that's the, the honest answer. It is having an oversight of services um, and looking at the responsibilities that boards have uh, uh, to ensure that everyone is safe and that all sport facilitate, uh, facilities operate to a specified standard. For example, that coaches understand their responsibilities to maintaining the welfare of the child, young people and adults who might not be able to protect themselves. Um, And when there is concern uh, that anybody providing the service at the front line of the service um, will know what to do and will do it in a way that is sensitive and applies the, the UNICEF standards, if you like, of ensuring that uh, all the children are attended to in a, uh, and given that attendance their well-being that they need in order to be fully participative in their, their sport. So governance itself is basically saying we are going to work to these standards and we're going to be measured to be working to these standards. So important Um, so that there's a a consistency. And I think most important internationally, because we're working to so many different 
rules and regulations um, relating to children. So we use the universal standard of UNICEF um, and we ensure that we're working to those, the, the rights of the, the child and young people and, and indeed adults. Um, and we um, are measured on this on a regular basis. So looking at what Frontline is doing, ensuring that they're doing what is expected in maintaining the well-being of children, young people, and adults who can't protect themselves. That's really helpful because that sense of it's an oversight. It's about people paying attention to what is happening, what should be happening, and the standards to which it is happening. And so it's then something that helps everybody within a sports club feel safe because others are looking out for aspects that will make them feel safe in their activities and encourage those who have charge over them to maintain the standards that promote individuals' well-being. Yes, exactly. So on the, on the ground level, though, all those children, all those young people, all those people who um, may be vulnerable for various reasons, um, know that they are being considered their safety is considered and uh, they will have a voice if they're feeling particularly uneasy unsafe that's helpful and, and I think it is for clubs however small to hold in mind that good oversight good standards are what keep their athletes safe certainly contribute to them being and feeling safe Joe, what about the aspects of that oversight? What needs to be in place then for a sports club to feel confident that a service is responsive and is of a high standard? Well, the starting point is to have that clarity and the universally agreed, when we're, we're talking about in, international work, a uh, universally agreed set of safeguards which uh, were developed um, in, uh, in 2015. So we have that baseline. So that's our starting point. And then how are we going to um, apply them, those standards in law? Well, first of all, it, within the service, I should say, we're, first of all, it, we have policies and procedures in place and the expectation that everybody providing a service in the area of sport is aware of what's expected of them, that they're familiar with those policies and procedures. So that there's an element of training. So you have the frontline line staff trained in order to know exactly what's expected of them. And another very important issue is to ensure that you have suitable people in their roles. So that ensuring when you're recruiting coaches, um, and trainers, that they are the right people, they're safe people, that they're respectful of the rights of individuals. And then having somebody, uh, a, an independent body, if you like, through advocacy, to be there if in, in order for children, young people, adults to, to talk to, to share their concerns when they don't feel that they have been duly cared for 
when they have been put at risk. It is so important that it's not just the coaches, it's everybody within the managers, within the service that uh, know how to recognise the concerns, know how to spot concerns and how to handle them. Know when to refer to an independent person to make available for uh, anybody who needs them. And that there are clear systems in place to refer and report to relevant agencies. And of course, again, when we talk about international, it may there may be different systems in different countries. So it has to be flexible and it has to, although in the that we, we work to UNICEF standards and we apply the uh, UK law legislation generally, it will there will need to be flexibility to understand the particular challenges okay. that different countries may have, not least of all, for example, around um, age of consent um, uh, and those sort of uh, uh, important things, which means that anybody working across country boundaries are familiar and aware of those those issues but apply the standards that they've been trained to there needs to be a risk register so that we can monitor um, where there are risks and in having risk registers we can also apply um, risk assessments so understanding how um, uh, where there are risks there may be health and safety risks physical risks that we need to be considering um, and but having that risk register so it can be regularly reviewed and know that all the services are moving along to improve on these things. There needs good practice guidance. Everybody have that good code of conduct. And, and as they say, going back to how uh, ensuring people are aware of the code of conduct as soon as they start providing the service. And they're also when they start providing the, the service, they are very familiar uh, with their responsibilities. There needs to be that a response from the uh, a service to uh, ensure that there are appropriate investigations in place, working with the relevant local and statutory bodies. And I think the main issue for me is that ensuring that there is a culture of safeguarding. There's that transparency across the service that children, young people, um, and, and vulnerable adults can have that sense of being able to speak out that they know what's available to them. I don't know whether you can think of anything else that needs to be there, Wilma. What I'd like to do is to reinforce some of the things that you've said, first of all, because I know that in situations where there isn't a code of conduct, then individuals make up what they believe is right. It can be very hard for young people particularly to say but this doesn't feel right I don't think this should be there so I wanted to ask you about those codes of conduct are there ones that are made publicly available so that if a child feels uncomfortable they can go to them or they can ask somebody else to look at them for them Absolutely. And I think there's an issue around, it's not so much about training young people to, uh, children to engage in the sport in, uh, so that they uh, know their rights, but it's about expressing what their rights are and getting that message over that if at any time you don't feel safe, that you can uh, contact a body, a person 
um, and that's absolutely your right to do that. So if you like, it's giving the children, children the information again at the very beginning of their engagement with their sport learning um that uh they have feel empowered to do that and part of that is about giving them the right to challenge the authority of their coach mm. so we know that children um will always look to the adult as being the one in in charge the one with authority and not to be questioned and i think in this at this stage what we're saying is you don't have to do things that you find make you feel uncomfortable, ensuring that children understand that they have a right to speak out if they're in those situations, but also giving them, telling them where they can do that. So giving them the means and the, 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 the contacts to be able to do that. And it feels to me that that's what governance must do. It must make sure that those things are in place and that children, young people, vulnerable adults, as you say, know where to find them. But I think it's being proactive and modelling that as well, because it has to be that there is seen this can be done, that this calling out, this saying I'm uncomfortable can happen. And I wonder whether actually good governance would be modelling that so that and doing that on behalf of those who may not readily feel comfortable to do that. Yes, absolutely. I think that within, as I said, when we talk about safeguarding culture, a safe culture, it is that all the adults, everybody uh, um, models that behaviour that, um, and they are transparent and they are clear with what children should expect from the adults who are there to enable them to promote themselves in their given sport, their love, their, you know, their enjoyment, but um, without that sense of exploitation, ensuring that they're doing it freely to their own enjoyment. Yeah. The other point that I wanted to pick up on, Joe, was that area of investigation, because there is quite a lot that talks about how it can become so litigious, so caught up with legal elements. And I feel that actually most young people want their clubs to sort things out. They want it to be sorted out locally and quickly and respectfully and not to have to be something that drags on and brings in externals. I wonder if you could say a little bit more about helpful ways in which those who lead a club can create a culture where concerns are properly looked at early and don't move on to being something that is you know long-winded and litigious the best practice is to have somebody within the organization within the service each individual service who has that responsibility for managing the process and ensuring that that doesn't, and challenging other agencies, other services, if that's, okay. if there is delay or lag within the provision. And that person uh, is specially trained to be that lead and that they know exactly with it, whichever country they're working, what how those systems work in that country, but maintaining the high standards that have been set already for them to ensure that children get their needs met and promptly and effectively at the time at the best time. 
I think the other thing I would say is about publicity and external organizations that can help so that clubs don't feel that they have to do all of this themselves. There are many organizations that want to reach out and be there for athletes at, at any time. And so I'm thinking in the UK, Childline is still there for any young person that wants to speak to somebody externally. Is that something that you would encourage? We should encourage that kind of publicity of external organisations for children as well as having good processes within the club? Absolutely. I think um, then there, there is work to be done in ensuring that children have the information that's relevant to the country that they're playing in. And I think that the sort of things that children, fight, as we know from working in the UK with Childline, having that contact visible um, and available to you is so important. And so uh, you know, to, when children start their journey, to have the information provided for them, either on a on, on a piece of a card, you know, a little credit card shaped piece of information prepared for them. I think the main issue is giving them the permission mm. to say you have absolutely every right to contact this body if you need to. Mm. If you feel mm-hmm. unsafe. I, I think that's what I'd want to encourage those who are leading a club to do to have multiple routes for young people to speak out when they feel uncomfortable or unclear. And sometimes it's just having clarity at the beginning that can help. But Joe, I'm mindful that sometimes when we're talking about children, there are also adults who feel vulnerable. Um, And that age when a young person becomes an adult and suddenly the supports that might have been there because they were young don't always seem to be there and it's almost as if now you must go on your own and of course young people will want to and many can be ready but I'm thinking that sometimes there are individuals who still remain vulnerable even when they get into adult life that is certainly in the UK 18 plus and how might things be different or similar for those who are of an adult age in their country? For me, it's about getting that information over to individuals. And and again, comes under that transparency um, and safe culture experience, making it clear that there is never any um, shame in asking for help if you're feeling Mm -hmm. unsafe and giving contact numbers again to those people. But Again, the difference, of course, is they're very much uh, in the, in control of their own lives mm-hmm. um, and they have to make that decision for themselves. So not imposing our beliefs of what we're seeing on them, but making sure they have information at the beginning of their, their sport journey that will allow them, give them permission to contact for support and help if they feel unsafe. And and to normalise that as well, to ensure that people don't feel it is unusual to, to be in that position, that, yeah, there are challenges for everybody um, being coached and being involved in, in, in the, any service, really, where there may be unscrupulous people or the service is not as considerate of their needs and, and respectful of their needs as they should be. And 
I know that for many where there might be a challenge in terms of impairments, whether that's intellectual, whether that's physical, when you become an adult, you still have those impairments and those challenges. And it's making sure that sports can still be comfortable and safe whilst encouraging individuals to have their own agency and being able to say and do those activities that they feel comfortable with yes but still support because you don't cease to be risk of being vulnerable because you have become older so a recognition that that support can still be there seems to me an important element absolutely yes well, Wilma, we've had a really good discussion. I've really enjoyed speaking with you about this um, and I know how strongly you feel, uh, mm. uh, as I do, uh, yes. um, about safeguarding. Thank you very much for your time. So to say uh, that people can find out more about the services, safeguarding services, by looking at the website. Thank you for listening to the Safe Sport International podcast. You can find more information about our work and resources, including details of our annual conference at safesportinternational.com. If you've been affected by any of the topics covered in this episode, you can find details of help and support at safesportinternational.com forward slash getting help. Finally, please do help us spread the word about safeguarding in sport by leaving us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.